Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Helen Keller, 20th century American author and political activist, was once asked, what is worse than being blind? She responded, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. So what is vision? When you, when you think about a vision, uh, the reality is we all have a vision for our lives, whether it's spoken or unspoken, or someone else has a vision for your life. It's kind of where you're at. So we think about this idea of vision. Vision is the distance between what is, what you currently are experiencing, and what could be. Vision is the ability to imagine a different future. Vision is the refusal to allow things to remain the way that they are. This is why we're at the tail end of football season. Next week's the Super Bowl. This is why teams fire their coaches when they have a really bad season. Because they go, you know what? We don't like the way that things are. And so they bring in a new coach. My team being from North Carolina originally, the Panthers. They brought a new coach. And what did he do right away? Here's my vision for where we can get back to where things need to be as a team. Proverbs 29:18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. So we're in the final message of our vision and value series, and at Sojourn, we are a family of people changed by Jesus, living on mission by inviting our city and our world on a journey of learning what it means to follow him. You might wonder why is this our vision? Well, this is our vision because we see the distance between how things are currently in our city and our world and what they could be. This is our vision because we believe in a different future. We don't believe that things are the way that they should be. This is our vision because we refuse to allow things to remain the way that they are. Now, today, we're going to be looking at a story and a character in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah really exemplifies someone who was given a vision from God and what it took to accomplish that vision. Uh, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you have a physical copy of Scripture, um, it's in the middle of the Old Testament. So if you get to Psalms, you're going too far, and just go back two books, and you'll find and land in the book of Nehemiah. And while you're turning there, let me give you some background info. Nehemiah lived with the people of God towards the end of the Old Testament. And this is when God's people were in a really devastating season in their life. Everything was broken. And so I want to ask you on the front end this morning, have you been in one of those seasons? Maybe in the past, maybe currently, where everything around you just seems it's in devastation. And maybe you you feel a sense of brokenness in your life. God's people had found themselves in this situation. You see, they've been exiled from the land where they're they're supposed to be. They're now in the Persian Empire, and they found themselves in captivity and slavery under a foreign king and a nation. This is not how things were supposed to be. And so they had found themselves completely devastated. Everything around them seemed broken. And as a result, they almost abandoned everything they knew about God and his people. And so it was nothing but devastation. But then what we're going to see is God redeems and restores his people with a vision of what could be. And so that's kind of the the title of our our message this morning, is a vision of what could be. Because we we currently see how things are. But God, what could our lives be? What could our families be? What could our church be? And so the story of Nehemiah reminds me 
in many ways where we've been as a church and where God has brought us. As I typically what I'll do is I'll scroll back through our Instagram and kind of see like just reminders of where God has brought us, seasons he has brought us through. But it also reminds me to look forward with God of where he wants to take us. God's not done with us. God's not done with you. God's not done with us collectively. God's not done with our church. And he wants to take us somewhere past where we are currently. And so let's look at Nehemiah. We're gonna be in a couple different uh, chapters, but we're gonna start with Nehemiah chapter one. We're gonna look at verses three and four. Word of God says this. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's good news for you this morning. If you have found yourself in one of those seasons where you've been broken over something in your life, things around you just seem devastating and it seems like there's no hope, you are in good company. Nehemiah, a prophet of God, has found himself in the exact same situation, and he feels overwhelmed. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by life? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the situations and circumstances around you, oftentimes out of your control? So Nehemiah has found himself just so overwhelmed to the point of weeping and mourning for days. Now, if you know me, I would tell you this. I'm not much of a crier, but it's okay to weep sometimes. It's okay to mourn. If anything, it's therapeutic, you know? Usually I'm like one of those, I'll try to be tough and I hold it in, but usually if I let it out, it's like there's something therapeutic about it. And so Nehemiah, he weeps and he mourns. So some of you might need to hear that this morning. It's okay if you feel overwhelmed to weep and to mourn. I think we, as Christians and as church people, we sometimes forget this. I think we come to Christ and we think, man, now everything is just gonna be grand. Everything is gonna be, be great. I'm gonna have to have any issues in my life. But here's what we forget. Because of sin, yes, Christ has paid for our sins and reconciled us to himself, but because of sin, we still live in a world surrounded by brokenness. And at times, it can be overwhelming. Portland is broken. We have a a drug addiction problem. We have a houseless crisis um, going on. We, We have an ongoing racial tensions in our city. Those are just a few of the kind of the big ones that make the news. Your life might be or it might feel like it's broken. And so if you can relate, and here's the reality, we can all relate on some level. If you feel like you're in one of those seasons, like Nehemiah has found himself, he models for us how to stop and pause. This almost sounds like our Sabbath practice. How to, how to stop, right? You kind of see like the world seems... Maybe it's overwhelming, it's chaotic. You just kind of stop and take a step back. And then what we see Nehemiah do, he models for us entering a season of fasting, which we haven't talked a whole lot about that here, and prayer. And so some of us need to receive the invitation this morning to stop. You might be overwhelmed by your job. You might be anxious because you can't get, the, can't get a job or you can't get the job that you want. You might not know how you're going to pay for the bills this month. Your marriage might be struggling and on the rocks. You might just feel overwhelmed with life in general. And if that's you, then I invite you too into a season of seeking God above all else, above all your pains, above all your worries, above all your brokenness. Enter a season of just, God, I want to seek you. And a really great way to do this is by fasting and by prayer, which those two practices, by the way, we will get to in the coming, coming months. 
And so Nehemiah is so overwhelmed by the situation that he just stops. He prays, he fasts. And if we were to study the whole book, which we have done in the past, all those messages are on our website and on, online, um, we find him enter a season of repentance. And what's interesting is he repents not only for his own sin, he repents for the sins of others, for his family and for generations. So what does Nehemiah do? He gives his heart fully to God. And this is where vision begins. Let me say it the opposite way. This is where vision begins, by giving your heart fully to God. He starts by going to God vertically, saying, I recognize this broken situation I found myself in. And so God, I'm going to start by going to you vertically. And then as he hears from God, he goes to the people horizontally. Now, most of us, and I'm including myself in this category, most of us go to others horizontally. And the last thing, maybe as an adult, we'll go to God vertically. But I think Nehemiah really models for us, postures for us, as we feel overwhelmed, the, the, what we should do. So going to God first and then hearing from God and going to the people around us horizontally. And so Nehemiah prayed that God would make it possible for him to do something about the fate of those who lived in spiritual darkness. He's saying, God, I know this isn't how you created things to be. God, please, I need to hear from you. I want to, I want to do something as a result. And so Sojourn, this year, I want us as a church collectively to be so burdened for our city and for our world that it causes us to weep, and it causes us to mourn, causes us to fast, and it causes us to pray. Let me be the first to confess publicly. As your pastor, I find myself more often than not, at least in the most recent season, complaining about our city. And so for that, I ask God to forgive me, and I ask you to also forgive me. It's hard to have a vision for our city. It's hard to love our city the way God loves our city if all we're doing is complaining. So on behalf of me, I ask for your forgiveness of that. And this is why we have regular days throughout the year. We're going to have more of these of fasting and prayer because we recognize. This is our posture when we do that. Because we hear that and you think, fasting, like that means I'm going to be hungry. Prayer doesn't seem to work. But our posture by doing that is saying, God, we need you to show up. We need you to intervene. We recognize things aren't the way they are. And so we are here to posture ourselves saying, God, we need you to show up. There's no other way. Amen? Because we too are attempting something difficult. Something I would say is overwhelming and a very challenging city to do it. But revivals and movements throughout history have always come through the brokenness and prayers of the people. If you studied any, any revivals, true movements of God. I was actually reading a book this week and it, it discussed one. Um, and I don't remember by name, but this particular revival, but people are credited to, they say it was the prayers of the people. But it actually started with a group of refugees. And they went and interviewed those refugees. I think it was about 54 refugees. And they said, they said, so it was the prayers of the people that really sparked this revival. And they said, no, it was the brokenness of the people and our confession of our sin and our mess in our lives. And then the prayer on top of that, that's what led to this move of God. And so may we do the same thing. And so my prayer for 2023 is that we allow God to develop a burden in our hearts for the place where he has called us. The reason I complain about our city sometimes is because I don't always feel at home here. And there's a healthy tension there. But if, if God has called us here and you're here for one reason or another, you might be here for a season passing through. You may be here for the rest of your life. But the, our, my prayer is that we would see Portland how and in the world how God sees it. <clears throat> That our, that our hearts would align with God's heart to the point that we weep and mourn because of the present situation and that we fast and pray and that we even repent on behalf of our city for where our city has found themselves. 
James Hamilton Jr. said this, if we would feel the kind of zeal for the church that results in weeping, mourning, fasting, and praying, in response to reports about how the enemies of the gospel have attacked God's kingdom, we should seek to understand the scriptures and pray that God would cause us to long for their fulfillment. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Here's what that meant. He actually got to be really close with the king, and he got to try all the food and beverages before the king did, which is actually a really good gig, unless something's poisoned. That's why they did it that way, right? It would be like, here you go. Someone brought you this beverage, and someone brought you this meal, and he would get to try it first. So he got to try some really good beverage and really, really good food, but it was just so that if something was poisoned, he would die and not the king. But as a result, he got built a really good rapport, right? The king's trusting him because he's willing to do these things. And then he has found favor with the king, which led to him providing resources to Nehemiah. And so now I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 16. So I'm skipping up to the next chapter. It says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God, what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what was I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So we find Nehemiah. He's vulnerable, and he honestly goes before the Lord, and as a result, God puts something into his heart. He was saying, God, I need to hear from you. God, I'm in a dry season. I'm, I, I'm not feeling it. God, I need to hear from you. And so one evidence that we see that God is not done with his people is he put something new into their heart. Some of us need to be vulnerable and brutally honest before God. I think sometimes, I've actually been reading, I read two books in the last week on prayer. Um, you know, you might say, well, you could have spent that time praying instead, but I'm still learning. And so, but what I took, one thing I took away from that is that I think sometimes the reason we don't pray is one, we don't actually believe that God loves us. But the other reason is we don't think we can be brutally honest before God. But if you look at the prayers of scripture, I mean, look at the Psalms. We always focus on the positive ones of David. David like lays his heart bare before the Lord. And so my encouragement is go to the Lord and be brutally honest. God, this is what's going on in my life. God, I don't see it. God, why is this happening? Because God, he can handle it. It's like my sons who I love no matter what. They bring all their worries and all their complaints and sometimes they yell at me. But you know what? As their father, I still love them. And so be brutally honest before God and say, God, I need you to put something new in my heart. God, I need a new vision for where to go in my life because I'm struggling. So I don't know what you're all facing, but I know that we are all facing life situations and that God will meet you where you are if you let him. If you open your heart and let him in. And so my question is, as we look at a vision for our church, but also a vision for our lives, are you pursuing a man-made or a God-made vision for your life? We need God to do uh, what we call a divine deposit. Because it said that God had put something in his heart. We need God to put a divine deposit into our lives. Because when you expose your heart to God, he exposes his heart to you. 
James 4, 8 tells us this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I don't know about you. If you showed up for encouragement this morning, there it is. Draw near to God. Draw near. Be honest before him. And he will draw near to you. That should be encouragement. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. We all have needs. But more than having our needs met, we need the presence of God. That's what we need. More than our individual needs, more than our needs as couples, more than our needs as families, more than our needs as a church, we need God to show up. Do we all have needs? Yes. Yes. Do we all have, do we have needs as a church? Yes. Absolutely. I'm going to list a few of them. We need our own building. At least I think we do. We need a kids director. We need more people and more volunteers. We need different ministries. But more important than all of those things, that I will write in an update and send to people across the country. We are a church that needs the power and the presence of God. And apart from that, I don't want to continue going on. So we, our posture is, God, we need you. We need you to show up. We need your power. We need your presence to continue going forward. And that's the only way that we will move forward. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That we are living stones. You've, heard the, you've probably heard this, right? The church is the body. It's made up of the people. That we are those stones. That God doesn't dwell in temples made by man, but that we are those stones. And that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Now as a church, depending on who you ask, we're only two to four years old. Depends on when you count, start, date, and all that stuff. So we're still kind of in the toddler, toddler stage. But we're also part of a larger movement that's much bigger than us, that's over 2,000 years old. And we are also specifically part of a movement of God in our city. So when I, when I look at the church of Portland, like God has called us to be part of this bigger movement. It's bigger than Sojourn. It's bigger than us. It's bringing all the churches combined. That God is moving and working. And he, he chose to use us as part of it. So let me remind you of this. And this is very unpopular in our generation and the fallen generation behind us. But I firmly and confidently and conviction believe this. The church is God's plan A for the world. There is no plan B. A church may appear irrelevant and weak, especially to the unbelieving community around us. But we sometimes fail to remember that the church is at the heart of God's plan for the world. That wasn't our plan. It was God's plan. And it's at the heart of his plan to reach our world is the church. I think we often fail to remember when we, when we undervalue or don't value that plan A, is we fail to remember what Christ did to have a bride in the first place for himself. That he went to the cross and died in order to have the bride. And that we are the bride, that we are the living stones the spiritual house that he's, he is building up. And so one of our greatest challenges as people of faith is seeing things the way the world around us sees them. Right? It's easy to buy into the narratives of our culture, right? A church won't work in Portland. A church won't work in Alberta Arts District. A church won't work in, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your life, God's not going to make a difference. Going to church is not going to make a difference. Serving, giving, doing, these things are going to make a difference, right? That's the narrative we hear around us. But what would it look like this year? We're just in the first Sunday of February, so we're still in the new year. What would it look like this year if we saw things the way that God sees them? What would your life look like if you saw what God sees? That you had God's perspective. You know, I'm just kind of, I don't know why I did this, but I'm imagining heaven and God looking down. Like, What would your life look like if you saw this perspective that God sees? What would your marriage look like if you saw what God sees? What would our world look like if you saw what God sees? 
What would our church look like if you saw what God sees? Instead of seeing things the way that we see them, see them the way that God sees them. Sojourn, we want the heart of God in order to see the world how God sees it. Amen? Amen. That would change our perspective. That would change the outcome. And so Nehemiah walks around the city city and the walls. He takes inventory, right? So he's kind of, seems like he's on this kind of like mission, and I can imagine like a reality or a TV show where like no one sees him. And he's taking inventory, though. He sees the brokenness. He sees the devastation. And this is what he does in verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies and runs with its gates burned? Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I had to look that word up. It means ridicule. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah gathers the people. And he essentially says this. Do you see this mess? Do you see what I see around me? The state of Jerusalem? Do you see the devastation that we are in? This isn't okay. Like I think about our city, right? I mentioned the, the calls of the mayor's office last week. And, you know, I imagine maybe a new mayor or someone coming in and saying like, do you guys, do you guys live in Portland? Have you not looked around to see the mess that we're in? And say, here's the vision, right? I think the, this is a totally side note and it's going to distract me, but even like the houselessness crisis, I think nobody has an actual answer or solution because we all like vision for what it could actually be. It's like, let's just keep pumping money and doing the same things that obviously are not working. But we can also do that same thing in our lives. We can do that same thing in our church. So Nehemiah, what does he do? He stands up. He declares this situation must stop. Do you not see this around us? This is not okay. It must stop. We are going forward with a new vision. Some of you might need to do something similar in your own life. Some of you might need to stop accepting the world's answers to your problems by saying, stop. And then start seeing your problems the way that God sees them. In verse 18, it points to this reality that, that Nehemiah had received vertical confirmation from God, that God had spoken to him. And he received from God, which allowed him then to horizontally go to the people to confirm what he had received from the king. And he brings it to the people and he says, you can, you can go back to the previous slide, I'm not there yet. He goes, back to, he goes to the people and he says, let's rise up and build. Let's rebuild this place. Now, why does he do this? If this was given to Nehemiah, Personally, is this not his personal relationship with God? If it was given to him, why does he go to the people? Why did he keep this to himself and they make up a plan? Because the vision that was given to Nehemiah isn't just for Nehemiah. It's for them collectively. He needs the community in order to accomplish the vision that God had given him. In other words, he needs people to buy in and commit. He needs people to invest and participate in the work. This is the power of vision that you get people behind it. Remember, Nehemiah is a cupbearer, right? Pretty good gig, but he's not an architect. We have one of those. He's not a city planner. He's not a developer. He doesn't know how to rebuild the city walls. Like, he, he probably couldn't nail a two-by-four together. He's a cupbearer. But what does he have? He has vision. He has a vision from God. And so this is where our vision as a church comes in. This vision for sojourn wasn't just given to me. It was given to us collectively. And like Nehemiah, it will take all of us, a family, relying on God in order to see it accomplished. Some of you might be discrediting God in your own life and what he wants to do because you don't think you don't have what it takes and that you don't have the resources to change your situation. 
Let me say that again. Some of you in your own life might have a situation and you think you don't have what it takes because you lack the resources to change the situation. Now hear me loud and clear. You don't. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the resources. You're like, Matt, this is supposed to be an encouraging message. You just discouraged me. Which is why we need to do like Nehemiah. We need to ask God. We need to lay bare before him and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? Because here's what I'm doing in my life and it's not going so well. God, what do you want to do in my marriage? Because what I'm doing is not working. God, what do you want to do in my family? Because it seems like it's a wreck. God, what do you want to do in our community? Because we can't change it. God, what do you want to do in our city? Because it's in shambles. God, what do you want to do in and through our church? God, what do you want? I lack the power. I lack the resources. I lack the strength to do it on my own. Now, prior to moving to Portland, we, meaning our family, had planted churches in South Asia, and we had been part of two church plants. But I had never planted a church in Portland, which is a very unique place. But you know that doesn't matter, and that that didn't matter? Why not? Because God called us. And he called us to love this city and invite them on a journey of learning what it means to follow him so that the city could be changed through his love, his mercy, and his grace. It never had anything to do with me. It never had anything to do with our family. It had everything to do with God. Remember we interviewed Ben last week? Hopefully what you took away from that, that we love Ben, but he's an ordinary guy just like any, the rest of us. I bring up that interview because God's not looking for competent people. You might think, I'm not competent. It's Okay. God's not looking for equipped people. He's not looking for those who, who are already equipped and ready to go. What God is looking for is for available people. And so sojourners, my question is, are you available? Are you willing to lay bare before God? Weep and mourn if you have to. Fast and pray, repent. Get honest and say, God, I'm available. Use me. Look, we don't know fully how God's going to accomplish his vision for our church. But we do know with 100% confidence that we have been given a vision from God. This takes the pressure off. It's his will. It's his work. It's his vision. We just have to be available to participate. God has invited us into this participatory role that we get to play. Now, Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20. So at this point, Nehemiah recognized the problem. He weeped, he mourned. Fasted, he prayed, he went to God. God needed to receive from you. He received something from God. He got favor from God. He got favor from the king. He went, he, get, he surveyed the city, he gathered the people. He said, this is the vision that God is giving us. And then what does immediately happen? Let's look at verse 19 and 20, and then we'll wrap up. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, that just sounds like, I think of a hornet, like there was this killer hornets that came through here a couple summers ago. And Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah hears from the Lord. He gathers the people. He casts the vision and he's ready to get to work. And what do we find? They got everything together, right? They're starting to build. No, he immediately faces opposition and criticism towards the vision that God had given him. Anything worth fighting for will always receive opposition, especially if it's from God. So maybe for us, it sounds a little bit different. It may not sound that way. Maybe for us, it sounds like this. 
Are you really one of those Jesus people? You're actually a Christian? Do you really waste your time attending church on the weekends? Do you really want to see your marriage restored? You should just leave your spouse. Do you really want to give from your resources to the church? Do you really want to spend your time that way? You're really doing this practice called the Sabbath? There's no time to rest. We've got to get to it. How do we see Nehemiah respond in verse 20? Nehemiah essentially says, you're criticizing God, not me. Because God has called me and this is his work and because of God, we will prosper. What if you just start responding to it that way? We will prosper. Talk to the hand, based on their stand. We will prosper. And when you feel like giving up, look up. I think so many of us are so busy looking like this. Googling, or as my kids say, searching up our, our, our answers to our problems. But what if we spent more time looking up? Looking up to God and remembering what he wants us to see and how he sees it. Remember, if it's God's vision, it's God's provision. That God will provide it for us. And so Sojourn Church has always been about God. It's always been about his kingdom, his purpose, his plan, his vision. And it's for that reason that we believe that we collectively will prosper. Because it's not about us in the first place. It's about God and his plan for those around us. And when the world comes against us, we can say that God is on the throne, that God is in charge, and that we are walking in his covering and anointing so that we know that we will prosper because we have confidence in God and God alone. Will it always be easy? No. Will it always require faith? Yes. And what is faith? Faith is when we know God so well that I'm going to believe it even though I don't see it. Let me say that again. Faith is knowing God so well that I'm going to believe it even when I don't see it. That's where that song Waymaker came from. I don't know if that's on Ben's playlist or not, but we see it. We don't, or we don't see it, but we still believe it because, because we're trusting God in the process. And so church, God will take you where he wants to take you. God will take us where he wants to take us. Look, Nehemiah was a good leader, but let me tell you this. If we were to study the whole book, he was a very flawed leader. But he followed the only perfect and ultimate leader, Jesus. Jesus, who was a better Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah, Jesus saw the brokenness of a people. He left the comforts of heaven and he went to the people. Jesus, like Nehemiah, he saw what could be. Yes, he saw the brokenness, but he also saw a better future. And when he looked at you and he looked at me, he was so connected to his father's heart that he also faced an attack like Nehemiah. And so Jesus, in many ways, is like Nehemiah. But there's one specific way that Jesus is unlike Nehemiah. And unlike Nehemiah, it would cost him his life to restore you and me. Christ would pay the ultimate price and lay down his life for your redemption. Why? Because Jesus has a better vision for your life than what you have. Jesus has a vision for your life, and he made it possible for you to live into that vision. You see, when we, when we feel overwhelmed and we feel brokenness of life, that is the result of sin in our world and in our lives. I think even you know, our hearts are prone to wonder, our hearts are prone to sin. And so no wonder we find ourselves because we aren't going back to the one who made it possible to live the life that we should live. So through Jesus' life, through Jesus' death, through Jesus' resurrection, he provided a way to live the, the way that it was always meant to be lived back before the fall and in the creation. And so Jesus has made a way, made it possible to live into that vision. Aren't you glad Jesus had a vision for you? 
Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just see what is, but what could be? Jesus didn't just see it and go, oh, oh well, they really made a mess down there, God. Me, you, and the Holy Spirit are just going to hang out and kind of see what happens. No. Jesus said, I'm going to the people. I'm going to the mess. I've surveyed the land, and there's no other way other than this way. And so Jesus has a vision and a better future for your life. Let me tell you this. You might say, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like Jesus sees me. It doesn't seem like Jesus is answering my prayers. I've cried out to him. Here's the reality. We know that for some, he will answer. He's not always going to answer the way we want. But eventually, we will be with him in his kingdom. You've heard me say this before. It's like hell on earth, right? Because we're still living in the confines and the reality of a fallen and broken world. But eventually, for eternity, this life is but a mist. It's here and then it's gone. But for eternity, we will not have to deal with this. We get to live into that reality, that vision that Jesus has for us. Jesus willingly chooses to build his new kind of community with those unable to give him any reason that God should even notice them. God noticed you. God looks at you and he sees his beloved, his beloved sons, his beloved daughters. He gathers them to his arms and he says, welcome to the inheritance that I have for you. And so in Jesus' new kind of community, we don't get to bring our strengths Rather, we bring our needs. We bring, we bring our needs, and he provides everything on his terms of mercy and grace. Why? Because of his love. Because he loved you. And Jesus so much loved you that he wanted a better vision for your life. And Jesus so much loved us collectively that he wanted a better vision for our church and for our city and for our world. And what does he do? He calls us to a vision in this life to go and to do the same that's why we, we said that we are inviting the city of Portland on a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. It's not that we have a leg up on the people around us. It's that we've realized that Jesus had a better vision for our lives and that we want that vision for the lives of those around us. And so as we go forward into this new year, let's be reminded of that. Be reminded of that in our own lives, of our family lives, and that God would show us his plans. God will show us his heart as we proceed forward. God, we come to you this morning. We want to lay bare our hearts, our lives before you. God, just to say that we need you. We need your power. We need your presence. We can't do this life apart from it. God, apart from you, we are floundering. God, apart from you, we feel like we've been thrown into the seas of the ocean and we're drowning. So God, I ask that for every single one of us, every single man, woman, and child who are part of this church, God, that we would seek you. God, we want to know what you see in our lives. We want to know the plans that you have for our future. And God, we know that if we receive the word from you, that we will prosper into those things. God, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean we get to escape the brokenness of this world. But eventually we will. Because one day we will be with you, worshiping you spending all of eternity with you away from the, the confines of this broken world. God, give us your vision for our church as we proceed forward. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.